so we're skipping. The last recorded session I had was Genesis 12, and tonight we're in Genesis 17. So for the folks online, sorry. <laughs> You're going to uh, have to bear with me, I guess. Um, not sure if we'll ever get to that gap, but um, I'm just glad to say that God's a good God, and he's a God of promises and covenants, and that's what we'll be learning a little bit more about here tonight. So before we get into Genesis 17, um, let's see, I've got some things to ponder when, when we get into this uh, tonight. So um, we'll see a couple of things. Um, first, I just mentioned the covenant that the Lord is going to make with Abram. And the word Lord here in chapter 17 is actually translated as El Shaddai from the Hebrew, which means God Almighty. And I pray that this passage um, in Scripture will encourage us to remember that He is God Almighty and He has a great plan for every one of us. And He is only doing things for our own good, even in tribulations, even in the downtimes of life. He hasn't left us. A lot of times what happens is we leave Him and we forget that we can call out to Him. It, it's only our voice, right? Barely any effort. And we don't even have to speak out loud. We can just ask, even in our heart, in the quiet place of our mind and in our heart, and he'll be there and he'll come to us. And he will start to comfort and soothe us. And um, I need to remind myself of this <laughs> a lot. And uh, I'm very grateful that he's um, made his spirit available to us and made his word available to us. The covenant here in chapter 17 is called the circumcision, and it's really a sign. Um, folks uh, over the ages have taken it a little too literally, perhaps. Um, there are reasons, um, there are good medical reasons for men to be circumcised, and uh, that, that is a physical aspect of this that we'll read about, yet there's a part in us, it's our heart that God wants to have circumcised. He wants us to be set apart, he wants our hearts to be soft, and he wants our hearts to be free of the burdens of this world and the life uh, that, that um, surrounds us. And we'll look at that a little bit. And again, as I mentioned, he freely gives of himself and he has no qualms about holding back. He's giving 100% every day to us, providing for us, guiding us, uh, believers especially, but even unbelievers, they're still part of God's plan. And he still works with them and works with circumstances around unbelievers also to make the plans come to his uh, to fruition the way he wants. 
We should also notice in chapter 17 of Genesis that names change. So Abram, his name changes to Abraham. Abram defined is exalted father, but Abraham is father of a multitude. So there's kind of like a change in action and a change in direction there. Just being an exalted father, it seems like that would be a position where you get accolades, maybe you win trophies. <laughs> uh, but as he changed, as God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he actually implanted a promise and gave the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many and many nations. And his wife, Sarai, that is defined as contentious, and her name changes to Sarah, which is princess. And to me, just those two simple words, they're so different, so opposite. To be a contentious person, person it seems like that individual would be questioning things, would be doubtful of things, and not happy or content with circumstances and yet a princess that speaks of being elevated up above the circumstances and even Abraham God in his promise elevated him um, to a higher level so as we read this Let's um, remember that as believers and having faith in Jesus, we are grafted into the promises that Jesus gives to the Hebrews, the Jews, which are his chosen people, and they are his elect, but uh, we are just as valuable and just as precious in the sight of his eyes as well. And we should also remember that all of Scripture reveals precisely who God is. Um, it reveals what his position is, as the word Lord here in verse 1 of chapter 17 um, indicates, and God actually explains it. He defines it after the next couple of words. He says, I am Almighty God. So his position, he is Lord of all. He is in a position to bless us, to judge us, and not only us, but all of creation, all the earth, all life, animals, and people. Uh, the scripture shows us his attributes as father, son, spirit, shepherd, judge, protector, provider, also a bridegroom, husband, lover, friend, but more importantly and most of all, Lord and King. So, as we read this, I'm moved to kind of think about myself and my own personality and how God has made me and he's made my friends and family and co-workers and each one of us has a very unique personality. It's specially designed by God 
and yet we have opportunities to kind of stray outside of the boundaries of what he's designed for us as far as our personalities. I mean, we read in Scripture where um, we're encouraged to be meek, loving, kind, tender-hearted, um, giving, forgiving, offering grace to people. And those attributes are all what Jesus has already done for us. And his greatest desire is to see us exercise those same gifts and those same blessings on people that he's given to us. So, all right, without further ado, let's go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. And we'll read through. So, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. And that's the El Shaddai that we just talked about. Walk before me and be blameless. And that could also be translated as perfect, uh, which means upright. And so he's asking Abram to, you know, stand up and, and be pay attention and to, to, how should I say this, to, to be sincere in his thoughts and in his heart. Verse 2, And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And we see here, Abram knew what God's position was, which is what I mentioned earlier. He's high above, he's Lord, he's God Almighty. And that's what prompted Abram to fall on his face in honor and reverence of God. So verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So God here is laying out the framework that he intends to bless Abram with the land that's all around him right now and to give him a home, to give Abram a home and his family a home and his descendants, grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids a home. So... Verse 9, <clears throat> And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so what God is explaining to Abram here is it's a sign. It's meant to um, signify that 
he's he Abram and God have a covenant and are entering into a covenant and I had some definitions here I wanted to share with you just to step back a minute so in Hebrew El Shaddai is the name of God characteristically used by the patriarchs prior to the giving of the law at Sinai it can be defined as almighty God and um, also could be defined as all-sufficient. And when you think of who almighty God is, God not only enriches the circumstances around us, which um, we're seeing here he's trying to do that with Abram also. He not only enriches the circumstances, but makes things fruitful. And if you think of it, we haven't gotten to Sarah yet, but this is already laid out that Abram is 99 years old. And further down, um, Sarah is told to be 90. And that's pretty old to be fruitful to have kids, at least in the, this day and age, right? But God, <laughs> God had a plan for them, and he wasn't concerned about their physical age. He was really concerned about what their, um, what their status to him was and how um, they would either follow him, be led by him, obey him, or not. And so perhaps... Like, even in our lives, sometimes I know it takes me a long time to learn a valuable lesson, and sometimes I have to repeat things and do things over and over again, kind of like doing the same thing but expecting a different result, right? We've all heard that. And um, perhaps it took Abram and Sarah quite a long time to learn some things that God was trying to teach them as well. So the word right, which um, this notion of the covenant between um, God and Abram, which is called a sign here, uh, could also be um, thought of as a right, which uh, dictionary definition is a prescribed form of conducting a sacrament or the like. Also, a ceremonial act, especially a religious ceremony, as to perform like the last rites. And it does go on to say that it is um, involved in certain different churches that they continue to follow rites. And if you've been at different churches, some have very ritualistic uh, services and traditions and things like that. Um, again, in this context here, uh, as I'll go into some other scripture later, it is really meant to be just a sign between Abram and God that um, Abram has agreed to enter into the covenant with God and he'll pass this down along to the generations. But still, as was mentioned before, God really wants to get a hold of our heart. 
not our physical being. It's our soul and our heart and our spirit that live on. This physical being doesn't. This is just a tent, right? And we're only granted, uh, what is it? Three score and ten, if we're lucky, is what the scripture says, or possibly four score at over 80, if by our own might and strength um, and obvious blessings, we'll, we'll make it that far. And so circumcised, there's a commentary that I read that described it this way. The rite of circumcision first appears in the biblical record after the announcement of the Abrahamic covenant, which we read about in chapter 12. That was the first covenant. The sign of the covenant between the Lord and Noah, if you remember, um, after the flood, a rainbow came out. So the sign of the covenant between the Lord and Noah was the rainbow. And in that regard... Man himself had no responsibility. But in this covenant, the circumcision with Abraham, it's only effective by voluntary obedience of man, especially of parent towards child, and thus indicates a couple things. First, man's responsibility to enter into the covenant. Two, his faith in God's word. And three, his assent to the condition of divine mercy. So the circumcised man was to identify himself as a member of Israel. And circumcision was practiced in Egypt at a very early time, but not among Babylonians or Horites who made up a large part of the population of Palestine, which was the land in Abraham's day. Um, but again, it's really just a, a sign, even though we have used words like rite and ritual. It's really just a sign to, to be a marking. Um, if you think about it, uh, we've talked about revelation, and pastors taught us a lot about revelation and taking a mark, and that we don't want to take a mark of the beast. We don't want to take that mark, but we do want to be identified with Jesus and with God. And that's the better mark. That's the better identification um, to have. And again, it doesn't need to be a physical manifestation, right? As I mentioned earlier, the attributes of Jesus, the long-suffering, the forgiveness, uh, being tender-hearted, um, you know, all of those things, those are evidence um, that the Spirit is working in us. And, and those are definitely markings from our Lord. So, let's see. Okay, so verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he, is, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Verse 14, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. 
Then God said to Abram, Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. So God's giving Abram here a foretaste of what's to come, that God does have a plan to build a whole nation um, of people which would be the special nation, the apple of God's eye. It'll be Israel. It'll be all the Jewish nation. Um, as you remember, previous to this, they've already had a child. Actually, Abram and Hagar have had Ishmael. So he is on the scene here. But um, as God has it, he has a, a plan, and he does want to continue to bless Abram and actually give Abram and Sarah their own um, child. So, verse 17. Then Abram, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, here, even though he fell on his face and he's honoring God in his physical He's, uh, it's interesting that it seems here he may be exercising a little disbelief only because he's looking at the physical, right? The miraculous comes from God. He can work miracles in us and through us. But I love this about Abram because he actually shows like the disbelief and perhaps the hesitancy even I would have had. The human element here, right? We're, we're all human and um, we can go astray. <laughs> but, so, verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So in other words, Abraham's thinking there's no possible way I could have another heir. So he's in a way kind of half asking, half stating, can't Ishmael be the blessed one? The inheritance go to Ishmael. Can, you know, can Ishmael be the one that carries on the family name? And then verse 19 says, Then God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. I'm pretty sure Isaac means laughter too. So, and as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes and I will make him a nation." So God reassures Abram that Ishmael will not be left high and dry. He won't be destitute. He won't not have the things that he needs. Verse 21, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. And that's amazing. God actually gives him a timeline here so there wouldn't be any doubt. And that it gives Isaac and, or I'm sorry, Abraham and Sarah something to look forward to. Now they can prepare. 
God actually gave them the time. So they have time to prepare. Verse 22, then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abram. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. And there is tremendous obedience. He just took what God said and followed it to a T. And I know that still small voice sometimes, I question it. And uh, I hope some of you have questioned that voice too because it's like, okay, you're walking in Wegmans and um, you know something happens, maybe somebody drops a, a bag or something falls off the shelf and you're like, should I go help them or can they handle it themselves or... You know, am I going to embarrass myself if I go ask, do you need help? And you know what? That first voice right there, even before the words came into my mind or my head, was the prompting of the Spirit to just open yourself up and ask that person if they need help. The worst they can say is, no, I'm all set. But you never know that in that first action, if maybe the door would open to start talking about Jesus somehow. And he's done that a couple times for me, but I'll tell you, I've resisted probably more than I've yielded. And I think that's all that God wants us to do is to begin to trust him so much that you yield to him more and more and that you trust him more and more. So verse 24. Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So here it tells us that um, in the timeline that actually um, Isaac is going to be 14 years younger, basically, than Ishmael. So that very same day, Abram was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And again, that just there's re repetition here. It just reinforces that um, God wants us to see that, first of all, he had a plan, and second, Abram was obedient and went ahead and did what God told them to do. So now, let's check out. Let's go to Deuteronomy. To your right. Uh, chapter 28. And we'll start at verse 1. This is um, a passage that talks about obedience and blessings. And forgive me, I've probably gone here before, but it's one of my favorites and it reflects um, a lot of the goodness of God. 
So Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be de defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And then, yeah, verse 9, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And this started all the way back with Abram. This is Moses talking right now. But all the covenants and all the promises began way back with Abraham. Verse 10, Then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. Notice it starts, though, God gives with no interaction by man. Rain comes. Man doesn't have to do anything. God is going to bring the rain. And then when they work the land because of God, things will grow. So you shall not lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. Verse 14, So you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right nor to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. And that's, you know, God's good advice, right? Um, as I mentioned earlier, we often can go astray. We're very much like um, sheep in a pasture. Um, and maybe even squirrels. <laughs> or uh, I'm trying to reference that movie, you know, the squirrel thing. <laughs> We're very easily distracted, right? And God is telling us, just focus, just look forward, look at me. Don't worry about the things for tomorrow, you know. Think, just look for the, the blessings that I'm going to give you today. Let's skip um, same chapter, chapter 28, go to verse 45. So we talked about blessings. I didn't want to focus on the cursings too much because it's a longer section, but 
if we stay in chapter 28 and go to verse 45, here's God speaking through Moses. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue and take and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you for a sign and a wonder and on your descendants forever because you did not serve the Lord your God. So see, God, we just saw that the circumcision is a sign of blessing, but he can also cause curses like a dark cloud to hang over a whole people group, and that will be a sign also that, you know, when things aren't going well, um, I think we need to be mindful that as I just said, even though we can be blessed really well and abundantly by the Lord, sometimes if we have bad days or maybe business deals don't work out or friendships or relationships don't work out, we might think that they're cursing on us or that they might be some sort of a judgment on us. But let's remember that the big picture God has for us may uh, for sure include some setbacks and some stumbling and some tribulation. And in that, in those times and in those circumstances, he's still available for us to call upon him. And wouldn't, wouldn't we benefit from actually having some difficulty in order to strengthen our relationship with him? You know, being able to pray very freely and openly. He's always asking, you know, for us to come to him, to open up to him, to tell him what our uh, deepest concerns and deepest fears are. And he's, uh, he's in a position to be a good shepherd to us, to help us, to guide us, to lead us, and to give us confidence. In, in the plan that he has, even though perhaps we've been suffering a setback. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that the setback will continue forever, and that's what I think we have to be careful of, not to be too fatalistic, because as a believer, we're on our way to heaven. This is the kind of like the training ground on our way to heaven, and um, wouldn't it be God's plan to actually help us to see First, that he'll stick with us through thick and thin, but also to show us and build us confidence that, wow, he did help me get through that. I survived. I'm, I'm not worse for it. You know, I learned some valuable lessons. So let's skip a couple chapters. Go to Deuteronomy 30, please. So Deuteronomy 30 does talk about circumcision. And it actually speaks to circumcision of the heart. So if we read from Deuteronomy 30, we'll start at verse 1. Now it shall come to pass when 
all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And again, this um, speaks uh, to many different events. Um, the Tower of Babel, that's where God scattered the people because they were becoming too united, but also the bringing back of all of the Jews um, in 1948, after World War II ended, um, when he allowed Israel to become a nation. So verse 4, If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And that is the, the primary goal of being saved and God getting us saved is that our heart would be um, like torn, torn away from the world's influence torn away from our um, our wayward ways, let's say, and that it would become yielded and soft to our Lord and to his plans, and that we would turn to him for everything that we need. And I've talked about it a lot during this session. He's a good shepherd, and... Uh, in in Psalm 23, let's go there. It talks about that. So Psalm 23. Of course, this is um, a very popular psalm. We all. I think probably everybody here in this room knows it. So, but it it's just a good example of who God our shepherd is. Um, and if we think about it, wouldn't we rather have or have the presence of a shepherd, especially a good shepherd, and be in the presence of a good shepherd versus being absent and away from a shepherd? especially if God is the good, good shepherd. You know, we should strive to be in his presence, and how do we do that? We get into his word, we meditate on his word, we pray, and as Acts 2.42 also says, we fellowship, we break bread together. Those are important things too. Not just our alone time, but to speak to other believers and to be in the company of other believers, to be encouraging to one another, to be open to one another. We may not have answers, but it's good to be um, separated from our jobs and from our world and sometimes even our families 
um, and to come into this house to be with the family of believers to be able to just share and talk about the biblical way um, that God wants us to go. So let's, let's go Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And those are the tools of a shepherd, right? The shepherd has a rod and a staff. He grabs um, the sheep, the ones that are going astray, gently, but it, you know, it's a smooth, curved um, instrument tool that he's able to grab uh, a lamb or a sheep to keep it away from danger, perhaps falling off a cliff or getting close to maybe poison ivy or something that it shouldn't eat. And where a rod could be a club that would fend off danger, dangerous animals, wolves, predators, right? And that's exactly what God's trying to do with the word, to give us the word, to give examples of how he has been fending off danger from us ever since we were born. So, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, meaning he's lifting us up. He's grabbing us up out of the, the situation with our enemies and lifting us up out of that. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is my desire to be with the Lord and to go and just dwell in his house. And he said he is preparing many mansions um, for us um, that we'll inhabit in the future. And if you remember, you probably read Jesus spoke to the disciples in Matthew 18 and Luke 15 about um, the good shepherd who notices one of his herd is missing. And so he leaves the 99 to go for the one which is lost. And that's a picture that he was trying to give to his disciples that he is that good shepherd and he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants all to come to know him and to, to, to be in relationship with him. So what does a smart flock of sheep and lambs and a body of Christians do, we pay attention to our shepherd, right? We should pay attention to the good shepherd, our Lord Jesus, but also the shepherd, the pastor. You know, Pastor Rob has um, been faithfully leading us now for a number of years, and Pastor Jeff also. And, you know, there's so much knowledge and experience there um, with so many of our pastors and it's just a blessing that the Lord is still allowing um, these men to teach. Um, I'm still amazed at the width and the depth and the breadth of a lot of our senior pastors knowledge about the Bible and about the Lord 
but again, it's attributed to the fact that they've dived in. They've just committed themselves. And that confidence that they have and the, the awareness of the Lord that they have and the presence of the Spirit that they have is all because of their uh, obedience to get into the Word and to learn more and to, to um, dive in, for lack of a better term. So a good shepherd is also going to pay attention to his flock, so it's a vice versa relationship, right, or a two-way relationship. When the sheep pay attention to the flock, or when the sheep pay attention to the shepherd and the shepherd pays attention to the flock, that's a working relationship. And that's exactly what we have with the Lord, a working relationship. One day at a time, one step at a time, one year at a time, however long he has us here. Uh, it's important to keep in step with him as much as we can. So... You know, keeping in step with him, it nourishes us, gives us a sense of security. It can give us peace, direction, uh, help us manage our emotions. You know, when the going gets tough, the old phrase is the tough get going. Well, I'd rather be faced with tough situations and immediately turn to God and turn to Jesus and put my prayers up to them than relying on my own ideas or my own thoughts and my own ways. And again, it's about building a closeness and an intimacy, um, allowing ourselves to be separated from the distractions of the world and to be more uh, focused and in tune with his word, letting his word wash over us, right, and let the spirit um, begin to work um, the truths into our hearts and into our minds. Let's go to Romans 4. Just a couple more passages. So here Paul... Um, elaborates a little bit on Abraham's faith. So we'll be reading 4 and 5. So Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. In other words, it's been reconciled and wiped from the slate.
verse 9. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? Now remember, um, we just read about circumcising the heart. So keep that in mind as we read this. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And that speaks here about Abraham's faith even before he entered into the circumcision covenant. Abraham was still walking with God, attempting to hear from God and attempting to be led by God, even though he did fall down on his face and kind of chuckled, saying, Lord, I'm 100 years old. How can this be? Um, He still had faith. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So the reason I wanted to go here tonight is I wanted to also show that there are so many parallels in the Bible, and there are so many other explanations of verses, Old Testament to New Testament. There's so much intertwining of Scripture. And, you know, digging in, and checking a concordance or um, cross-references. Some Bibles have very good cross-references. It's really good to go and search, as Pastor Rob mentioned this morning, be a Berean and go in, and that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, You know, again, the distractions of life and work and family and other obligations sometimes get in the way, but it's interesting how Um, God repeats and had other people write, uh, especially Paul, a lot of cross-referencing to the Old Testament, just like it is here. Let's read verse 11 again. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still circumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. And that's it. No matter what your position is, the circumcision of the physical body is a sign, but the circumcision of the heart is a more permanent condition you know committing ourselves to the lord and and making that step to become saved and to accept jesus and to make him the lord of your life regardless of what's going on around you is the first step and the the key to salvation if we can't um, confess our sin and confess that we've been forgive me, running amok in our lives without a light, a beacon, a guide, a shepherd. Um, that, that's, that's congruent with um, your heart being changed to be able to accept that, wow, you know, I don't have all the answers. And then to accept that God does have the answers and he has a good plan for us.
So verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. And that's really important. The Ten Commandments give us a guide as to what not to do, but righteousness of faith, but through the righteousness of faith, having faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross is it. There's nothing else we can do. But out of that, out of that faith, and in building our relationship with the Lord, of course he wants us to be more like him. The passage, I think, is in Jeremiah about the potter and the clay. That he wants us to be more like him, more yielded, more moldable, to be able to reflect more of him to this world. Okay. Verse 14, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. In other words, we need a barometer. So the law is a barometer that shows us what's bad, you know, from our perspective. Verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be accounted According, or I'm sorry, that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. So Abraham didn't just hope for it. He was actually banking on the promises that God was telling him that they would come true. Verse 19, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. So that's just a picture of Abraham's solid faith. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And when Paul writes to us, even or write, writes us, even though this was back in the ages, he's speaking to us here now, believers that have committed um, their faith and put their faith in Jesus. So it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So we'll trickle into five a little bit here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. 
Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit was, who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So it's a perfect plan that God has through Jesus to wipe our slates clean, to eliminate our sin debt, to put us in a good position, to go up and inhabit those mansions, those rooms that he has prepared for us. And if we could, I'd like to finish out just with a couple verses in Galatians chapter 5. So, Galatians chapter 5, just the first six verses. Verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So Paul is speaking here just about the physical circumcision, just the act of being circumcised. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. So that's the encouragement I hope we can gain out of this session tonight that through faith, by the Spirit, because of the love of God, because of his grace, because of his shed blood on the cross, we have everything to look forward to. Regardless of who we are and whether we're circumcised or not, it's not about the physical being our tense, it's about our heart condition and about our position to him with uh, the condition of our heart. Is our heart yielded to him? Is our heart soft to him? Are we looking forward to actually having him show us experiences of things that we wouldn't dream experiencing? Maybe outside of the realm of what we thought was ever possible. And I'm not talking about huge, like, Hollywood stage production type experiences. Are we willing to just take even the small little steps each day, just with him, 
yielding to him, yielding to what we believe the Spirit is telling us to do in our individual lives, because it isn't an individual relationship with Jesus, that we all have to walk it and just allow him to guide our lives. I know personally it's a struggle, but it's been one of the best things ever since being saved. It's like the the world looks different to me. Um, the problems still come, like my basement almost flooded two weeks ago. That's why I wasn't here. <laughs> um, but, you know, it doesn't matter. A house is a house, but people are people, and my relationship with Jesus is... Definitely, he's showing me it's the most important thing where my focus should be. So um, I pray that this was an encouragement to you and um, just uh, very grateful that we have his word to rely on. And he's given us, again, the basic instructions before leaving earth, the acronym for Bible. And I pray we just continue to, you know, dig in and read about him and fall in love with him even more every day. So thanks for your patience. Let's pray. Uh, Father, just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy and love to us, Lord. And Lord, help us to understand that even in trials and tribulations, when they come, Lord, that you're less than a breath away. You're like right with us, Lord, every single day, every moment. And no matter what we're suffering, Lord, you've already suffered. You've already felt the things that we feel. You know our very frames. You know the very hairs on our head, Lord. You know each bone, each member, each cell. What an awesome God you are. You are God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Everything that's seen and unseen, Lord, you already knew from the very foundations of the beginning, Lord. And we just look forward to your coming, Lord. We look forward to joining with you, Lord. We look forward to what you will have for us in your millennial reign, Lord. Help us to be prepared and to be ready for your coming. And... Help us to be better stewards of everything that you've given us, Lord. In fact, our very soul and our personality, Lord. Help us to be good ambassadors for you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, and help us to shine your light out to all those that are around us, Lord. We love you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.